We always joke on July 4th weekend and Memorial Day that all the folk who are here, we're the people without boats and spots at the lake house. So <laughs> sorry for all of you, but it's good to be here. Good crowd for July 4th weekend. So all the kids are out. Um, so today we're beginning a new series. It's going to take us through the month of July. We have five Sundays in July. The fifth Sunday is going to be a special family day, and Anna, Anna Register is going to be preaching and leading the service. That'll be cool, won't it? Uh, how many of you know Anna Register? Well, you've never heard her preach before. I don't think she's ever preached before. She's so good at everything, she will do a great job that day. So that's going to be Anna's breakout day in the pulpit. And, uh, but the four Sundays before that, we're going to be focusing on the cross. Um, the death of Jesus. And next week, I'm going to take us into a bit of a historical exploration, not just in the Judeo-Christian faith, but anthropologically, historically, back. This idea, this idea that religious systems have developed long before ours of sin, separation, sacrifice, salvation. There's a long history in the human family religiously with those ideas. And the Judeo-Christian faith probably took that uh, to a fevered pitch and probably developed that idea more than any other religion for sure. So I'll be looking at that next week and kind of bringing that into our history. And then the next week, Mel's going to be talking about personally this idea, am I working? This idea of the cross, uh, not just in terms of what Jesus did for us, but this idea that Jesus promoted uh, vehemently of, I would like for you to pick up your cross and carry your cross and follow me. Uh, Jesus asked those that were following him, can you drink the cup that I drink? And he was talking specifically about the cross. What does it mean to carry our own cross? And then that fourth week, I suppose we're going to finish the way we're really kind of enjoying it more around here with questions and dialogue. Um, to that end, we're going to start with that today. You want to pick up there? and Yeah, we probably... wanted to start with that today because a huge part of what we're doing um, in this community and, and proclaiming that we are progressive Christianity is making sure that you realize that you have a voice in this, that it's not about us just teaching you something and then you learning just to memorize and regurgitate it. It's about you understanding why you believe what you believe. And first, you have to start with what you currently believe before you can even start to reframe it if needed. And so this morning, we'd love to just pass the mic around and get some of your opinions and your views on the cross, your views on what the death of Jesus has meant to you in the past and maybe what it means to you now. And we're going to do our best to not respond to these things. We're going to do our best to say... You're going to do your best oh, not to this respond. Is, this is what you should say. Oh, that's interesting. That should be yep. your response because you want to wait till next week, right? Just, me. Just wait. Just wait. I know her pat. Her pats are very <laughs> condescending. I know we want to hear what you think, but we really want to hear what you think first to get a, uh, to get a feel for where everybody is. And so I just wonder if we're going to have some mics out in the congregation. I believe JT is here with a mic. Um, someone else will be over here. August has a mic as well. And so, can I prime the pump a little bit? You can prime the pump a little. So, death of Jesus. What does the death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, mean to you? You don't have to be right or wrong. The question is, what does it mean to you? And one thing, to, to Mel's point about the reason we're trying to pass the mic more and get away from just lecturing all the time, is we believe that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. And this was clearly taught in the New Testament text, that the Word is flesh. And then Paul said, and you are the body of Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14, 
Paul said, let all prophesy. Prophesy is a fancy, scary word to some people, but prophesy simply means that we can be used as mediums through which God can speak. Paul said, let all prophesy. Let the others judge. We don't have to be all frozen up thinking everything we say is directly from God, but the reality is God does speak through us. And Roy, we've spent way too much time putting all of that, the onus on the pulpit. The living word of God is the people of God. And the more we hear from one another, I think the better off we are. Paul said, Paul said the good news, the Christian message, the good news is that Christ died, that Christ was buried and that Christ rose again. By the time you get to the rose again part, of course that sounds like good news. But it would have made more sense to me if Paul would have said the bad news is that Christ died. The good news is that Christ uh, rose again from the dead, but that's not what he said at all. We even call the Friday before Easter, what do we call that Friday? Good Friday, the day God's son was tortured. Good Friday. To, to what end was that good? Um, it literally can be argued. I would not make this argument personally, but it can be argued that the centerpiece of the Christian faith for the first 2,000 years has been the death of Jesus. Some would argue the resurrection. Uh, some would argue the incarnation. I think it all wraps together and we don't need to create a hierarchy, but literally when we wear things around our necks to embody the fullness of Christianity, we don't wear nativity sets and we don't wear stones rolled away. What do we wear? I mean, can you imagine? It's more brutal than lethal injection, the firing squad, or the electric chair. Could you imagine having a little golden electric chair at the end of your necklace? I mean, think about that. That's what we do. That's what a cross is. It's macabre. And yet, we have made it the centerpiece of the Christian faith. And I think there are good reasons. I think there probably are bad reasons. And I think we're growing as we develop those reasons. A full third of the Gospels, you look at the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at least a third of those Gospels are devoted to the last week of Christ's life, what we call the passion narrative. I mean, if, if Jesus, the Son of God, was eternal as our Orthodox creeds say he was, yet we devote a third of what was written about him to this week of his life and, and a good portion of that to the, death, to the death itself. And then you have Paul saying in Philippians 3 with this, this yearning, oh, that I might know him. Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Well, of course. But then there's this pause, this suspension and you hear him sigh, oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, being made conformable unto his death, that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering. In Romans 8, Paul really developed this when he said all of creation's groaning, we're groaning, the Holy Spirit's groaning, and if so be that we suffer with him, we'll be glorified together with him. And then I think the cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus has been so impactful to us and so central for us because it speaks to what is for many of us, not for everybody, but for many of us, our greatest existential fear. And that is what happens after we die. And to have someone, I mean, all of us are captivated by these books, people who die, have experiences, and come back and talk to us about those things. Those things are always New York Times bestsellers because it really speaks to our pain. It speaks to our fear about separating from this life and, 
And for Jesus to have done that and to come, have come back and from Paul's perspective to even have defeated death to some degree, not defeated it so much so that we don't endure it the first time, but that it would not be infinite in its impact. And, and finally, the last thing I would say that, you know, Paul said, and Paul was really central in the formation of the early, you know, Christian uh, orthodoxy. Paul said when the, when the final enemy is defeated, Christ will deliver the kingdom to the Father and God will mean everything to everyone. When the final enemy death is defeated, Christ will deliver the kingdom and God will be all in all. There's this sense of summation, this ultimate victory. But Paul said that final enemy is death. When the final enemy death is defeated. So even in Paul, from Paul's perspective, what happened at Calvary was really, uh, it was really D-Day. But it wasn't V-Day, to use World War II language. It was the decisive day that the battle turned unequivocally, but it wasn't the day of victory. Lives were still lost. There were still battles to be fought. And that was Paul's perspective, that something happened at Calvary that vouchsafed for us this ultimate defeat of death. And even from an Christ, early Christian perspective, our development of the idea of hell, which was not rooted in our Jewish faith uh, very deeply at all, but our development of the idea of hell this place of ultimate separation from God as the early Christians cast it. Um, even that Paul referred to as the second death. And, and so Paul gives some hope for people like me who believe that um, whatever hell is, it's not this eternal penal institution. When Paul said the final enemy death, first and second will be defeated. And so ultimately, so there's a lot in death. So just to prime the pump and get us headed in the right direction, and to scratch that. I can't help myself. You can't help you're teaching. You gotta, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. Quit making fun of me I'm and pass not. the mic. All right. So we want to hear from you. What are your convictions? What are you wrestling with? Um, and I'm really interested why maybe some of us believe what we believe today. So who will, will go first? DeMarco. DeMarco. Right here. And here comes JT. David Aronoff, I want you to say something too. Just think about it. I want you to th think about what death, the death of Jesus means. And everybody get really uncomfortable because I'm going to do the same thing to about three or four more people. <laughs> Why are y'all all looking away when I look at you? Do you want to stand up? Yeah, DeMarco. DeMarco. I'll go first because no one wants to go first. Uh, my name is DeMarco. When I was a kid, my parents brought me to a Catholic church. So as you can imagine, our cross had the very bloody Jesus, very graphic. And, you know, when I thought of Jesus as a kid, I thought of someone that was murdered because of my sin, because it was a, a bad person. And that made me feel horrible about myself. So now when I see the cross, I see the risen Christ and that Jesus is alive in me. And I think of the beautiful teachings and that that sacrifice was the most beautiful expression of love that someone could ever give. And the conversation that started as a result for many thousands of years, that's still continuing and bringing communities together like this. That's what the cross represents for me now. You said sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He sacrificed, so he willingly did it from your perspective? Yes. Yeah. Intentionally with what in mind? The outcome or the, the journey, the conversation mm -hmm. that people would seek deeper and ask more questions. Huh, I and love that. Love and be inspired. Hmm. Beautiful. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Wes, will you put those mics in the monitor so we can hear them? Thank you. Perfect. Others, back here. All the way back. JT. JT, back there. <laughs> Wake up, JT. You sang a good song. Don't let down now. You said it represented empire. Yeah. Mm. To me, it represents empire and it, because Jesus was killed for what he did, so I don't think it really was a choice, for me at least. I think he chose to live in a really dangerous way in his time and that he was killed for that. And when we hear pick up our cross, I hear to resist empire mm. and what that looks like today. To resist empire is what the cross means. She yeah. said she, he chose to live in a certain way, but he didn't choose the death. The death yeah. happened in result of the way yeah. of life. Well, there's yeah. a lot in that empire thing, for sure. Jacques Renee. I used to, I used to believe that um, Jesus died on the cross to save me, and the only way to salvation is to accept him as my Lord and Savior. Until I started to hear and start to investigate that um, Jesus had to put the death of Adam. He had to take Adam's thoughts and bring them to the cross. Adam believed that God turned his face against him and that he had to suffer. And Jesus incarnated means that he became man just like we are, that he suffered the same things we do so he can understand the pain even though he is God. And I just read something this week that said the final words from Jesus on the cross was not my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was Adam speaking. That was the death of Adam. <clears throat> His death was into my, my hands, I commend my spirit. Hmm. Which means he had a relationship with the Father. I was always taught that God couldn't look at sin. But even at that final hour, the Father and the Son had this relationship with each other. And the resurrection, it, more important is the ascension, is that today there's a human being that has blood, you know, f flesh and blood, that sits at the right hand of the Father. It's not a spirit. It's a real person. Mm -hmm. Some Thank of you. that from Baxter Kruger's you writings. Got you got it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so I'm David Aronoff, and the one that you picked out. I don't know whether to thank you for that or not. You're welcome. Um, and and I, I don't know exactly why you called me out to say anything about this, but you know that I, I, I was raised in a bit of a hybrid religious background. I was raised Jewish. My father's side was Jewish, and my mother was Christian, and I ended up going to Catholic school for a while and Hebrew school at the same time. And, um, I, and uh, I, I've spent a lot of my life trying to wrestle with where I fit in the context of religion and Christianity and Judaism. And... Um, and, and the short answer to your question is I don't, I don't know. I don't know yet what, um, you know, this is a very central question uh, in Christianity and in religion. Uh, and um, I think what DeMarco said about love is what really I think of. I think Jesus um, 
I, I really believe we all have the light of God within us, and we're part of the kingdom of God, and Jesus manifests that better than anyone else has ever, and um, that willing sacrifice was an absolute statement of love for humanity and hope that we would um, follow suit and live the way that God wants us to live, and by that I mean love each other. Um, but uh, I don't want to babble, so I'll just say that I really don't know exactly what his death and resurrection mean fully to me, because that's something that, from my own background, I've just been wrestling with for a long time. Wrestling with, so I mean, it's been a central question. You know it's a central question in Christianity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, I come from a background where, in the Jewish faith, Jesus isn't believed to be a special son of God, risen again, the Messiah, right? And um, so, trying to fit that into how I feel about Jesus is really, it's, it's something that I wrestle with. I don't, you know, I don't know. I think nobody has manifest God the way Jesus has. Um, and I, I think we should all strive to be as, if we could all be like that, what a wonderful world we would live in. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I also feel like I don't necessarily have the capacity to understand. Yeah. Very good. That's right on. I, I thought you would say something like that. Yeah, you're good. Oh. Hey, I'm Clayton, guys. Um, so I am a recovering Catholic, and I think the, uh, <laughs> that's the first question. Um, I think the cross is like a really interesting topic because it does represent something very dark. And then like uh, the beginning of my faith, I saw the cross as like a very dark thing. Um, and it represented like something very scary to me growing up as a child and in the church I was in. And now coming back to finding God in the way that I have through this church, um, it's, the cross represents something of, like a foundation, like a strength. And um, I have like several cross necklaces and it's funny because the first day I came in here I wore one and it just made me feel like reassured. And I love the balance and kind of like parallel of that, that it can be something scary and, and like something strong and um, like standing up in a church speaking on a microphone <laughs> online is scary, but it makes me strong, hopefully. Um, but like, yeah, I think that vulnerability and the, the parallel between the darkness and the light um, is, is awesome. And so this is a great topic. And thank great. you guys. Great, thank you. Thanks. We'll come back. I've got it. Oh, who's got over here? Oh, <laughs> Mary. Yes. Our new uh, board member, everybody, yes. Dr. Mary Gist. <laughs> this better be good as you're a new board member, so no pressure, Doc. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Um, a, a good bit of what this church has done for me is to help me unlearn some things that I had learned in the past. Um, I spent the first 35 years of my life 
growing up in, as a member of the Church of Christ. And for those of you who grew up that way, that's all I need to say, really. <laughs> for those of you who did not grow up that way, um, just know that my family knows I'm gay, but not that I'm Methodist. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so, in, <laughs> in the Church of Christ... Um, the crucifixion and the cross was used as the ultimate guilt trip. Jesus died this horrible death, and I've heard a hundred sermons on the gruesomeness of the death and the medical reports of the crucifixion just to uh, heighten that sense of guilt. And so Jesus did this for us, and don't you think you ought to give up this list of sins? And those were embellished upon. So, um, again, I I always look forward to unlearning some things and seeing a bigger picture and seeing what the cross really means. Thank you. Next week will be an interesting message for all of us, Mary, who grew up in that same setting, the history of how this developed for sure. Hannah. Hi. Uh, So I think uh, growing up as a... um, the daughter of John Piper worshiping seven-point Calvinists. I've been unlearning penal substitutionary atonement for a while, but um, the only way that I can make sense of the cross is in the context of free will. So, and the only way that I can make sense of the cross and our suffering and how God chooses not to intervene a lot of the time is that um, our choices are our own. And so I see the cross as a choice of humans who saw who Jesus was and were not able to compute what he meant. And because there's a very real sense in the scripture that Jesus knows what he's going to. It wasn't an accident. He didn't happen to be upon a cross. He knew that that's what was coming next. Um, And the father presumably allowed that to happen. So um, I think of the cross as perhaps a vehicle towards resurrection, like maybe we needed the cross in order to be able to see resurrection like clearly exemplified for us, but seems a little bit of an extreme method. So I don't know, but that's, that's how I process it in the past. Hi, I'm Raymond's first time into the church. This is a really wonderful place. I've really enjoyed the music, thanks. To me, the cross is emancipation because when you think about it, one of the things he said, he said seven things as he hung on that cross, and one of them was to telestai, paid in full. And so I know that all of our sins are paid in full. It's like my dad paying off my mortgage. I don't have to add to it. And I think it's blasphemy for us to think that we can add to it, because each and every one of us are sinners. Paul tells us that, you know, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar. Uh, we're all sinners. And so I'm emancipated. I'm paid in full. I don't have to worry about it. I can focus about loving other people and not worry about my sins. And I think Satan every day tries to tell us, you're not good enough. Hogwash. We're all good enough. And it's all paid in full. So don't sweat that. And like you guys said earlier on, just learn to love each other. Learn to let that out. Learn to be together. Because Satan wants to divide. God wants us to unite. And uh, that's what I think is so cool about this church. So to me, the cross means emancipation. I'm free. It's paid for. Thank you. Stephen? Good morning. Uh, I grew up in a uh, 
Capitalist home, Catholic and Baptist home. Uh, so I identify with the mixed perspectives of religion and wrestling through them. Um, going to a private Christian liberal arts college, I learned one perspective and it was, this was the problem and this is how Jesus fixed it and now this is what you need to do about it. Um, and so now go out. You've had this paid for you, it was this debt, it was something that I was born with, I didn't do anything to earn this debt personally and growing up as a young child would struggle with what did I do wrong in my life? Like, you know, I didn't grow vegetables and offer them to God and really I was supposed to give him meat. Like, I, I would always wrestle like, I'm not a bad person, I stole a cookie once, um, I took some toys off the fridge when I was in timeout. Like, I couldn't compute and then being a late bloomer coming into um, understanding my own uh, orientation and, and things and stuff. I like to call it things and stuff. Then I was like, oh, oh, this must be it. And I was always in the Baptist puddles, so I always had the Baptist thinking. I always had the, the penal substitution, this Jesus died for your sins, Hail Mary, this go do this. This is this task that you need to do. Um, been reframing that and questioning things like, Okay, did he really die for me? Did he know me? Oh, Stephen was gonna steal those cookies, so better go, like, and that, that didn't compute. Um, and I've landed on questions like, when he healed people, or they were blind, or he would say, go, your sins are forgiven. Was there an asterisk that said, <laughs> wait until I die? What if, if, if Christ was with you, he healed your eyes and said, which is harder to do, heal you or forgive your sins? And he forgives your sins. And oh, by the way, you get sight. Well, did he forgive my sins too? Well, he just healed me. And so I, I asked those questions and, and I, I heard a story recently and classic writer, I'm sure, that I don't know whose name it was originally. But he talked about how there was little birds in the storm and the farmer was like, oh my gosh, if I could just be a little bird and tell them, go into the barn. The barn is safe. And the farmer in the scenario was like, oh my gosh, that's Christ. For some reason, I can't communicate with these birds, but if I was a bird, I could. And so now I see the cross more in a hopeful way of knowing that everything God identifies with in me because he's been there, done that. You know, he created all to begin with, and if that wasn't good enough now, I know that he's... He's been hungry. He's had bedhead in the morning. He's, you know, been tempted um, in the wilderness. He's been through all the experiences and, oh, by the way, death. And then I put that together with the parable of the prodigal son. Did he, did he need the ring and the robe to feel celebrated? Maybe not, but his, his dad wanted him to know he was his. And when that wasn't good enough, no, 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 no. You are so worth celebrating, let me show you. We're gonna have a big barbecue. And so then, oh, did, did the calf need to die for that party to cover the sons, you know, you know, um, running off and spending his father's inheritance? But then he came back and so he wanted the son to know, yes, you are loved. And so that's where I kind of landed now. And there's all these questions in between and I'm trying to undo all this, Baptist, things I learned in school, things I learned in church, things that I learned, things that I made agreements about myself. Like, okay, my body is a temple, 
but the heart is deceitfully wicked. What? How can those two coexist? And so wrestling through what is parable, what is narrative, and what is the bigger narrative of, of God's design in, in Am I so stubborn to hold on to this idea that I've learned and I've had to completely miss the point and look at God and say, no, it was for, it's for substitution. I stole that cookie. You had to cover that. And he's like, no, you're loved. So wrestling with all those things and saying, was it for me to get debts paid or was it for me to say, hey, I, I've been through everything. I identify with you. And you are loved. Good. Over here, somebody else. Chrissy. Hi, I'm Chrissy. Um, so unlike a lot of you all, I did not grow up going to church, um, largely because my mother was raised Church of Christ, and so she rebelled against all of that. Um, it had its advantages and disadvantages for me. One of the advantages was I didn't have a lot to deconstruct when I came to faith. I had some preconceived notions, but I hadn't grown up with a lot of faith baggage. Um, but so for me, the cross, um, I think, is just so multidimensional, and I don't think that we, um, I think this conversation proves how many different aspects it has and how mysterious it is. But um, two of the points that have been really central for me are that God looks like Jesus dying on the cross for his enemies, that, he, that his love is self-sacrificial, even to the point of death, and that that is our example, that that is how we are to love others, again, even our enemies. Um, and then the second thing is that power doesn't look anything like what we in the world tend to think that it looks like. Jesus turns, just like with everything else he did in his life, Jesus turns everything upside down. Like our ideas of what true power in this world is, it looks nothing like what we think it looks like. It actually looks like dying and that we don't, we don't really see everything that's going to happen later. So those are just a couple of the things that have been kind of central as I've try to build up my faith. I like that. Eva, anybody, microphone over there, here. Let's go to Jeremy. Okay, and then we'll... Jeremy and Eva. Hey, I'm Jeremy. So I guess my thoughts today and throughout my faith narrative have kind of been, I come from tradition um, where faith or salvation, eternal life, whatever, was pretty easy to obtain, very easy to lose, and difficult to maintain in the meantime. So my feelings for the cross and have always been, so what was the point? Um, if, if all this is so easily exchanged, then it really didn't serve a purpose other than to make the story more dramatic. Um, and I, I guess that's still where I am today in sorting all that out, you know, is kind of just, what was the point? I'm a, a tradition like Mary, I think her name was Mary, we're from the same tradition, and so it really was just part of the story. It didn't really mean anything personally. So. Hmm. Tabitha. Well, Eva, right I'm here. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I'm really excited, actually, that we're having this conversation because this has been something that, for most of my life, I never even thought much about. 
because growing up Mormon until I was 33, we never had these conversations where, where everything happened sin-wise was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't at the cross. There's no crosses in their churches. They don't sing songs about crosses. Jesus is not God. It's, it's a completely different scenario altogether. And um, it's only, there's only a transaction sin-wise after all you can do as a person. And so there is no covering of sin and everybody can be saved and it's a completely works-based religion. So that's all I'd known for seven generations back. That's all I had been taught. That's the only people that I surrounded myself with. That's, that was everything. So there was no, um, there was no place for me to even understand when, when all of that started to fall apart for me and I knew I had to leave Mormonism, I was being taught Christianity by some missionaries in Utah because I didn't even know another Christian until I was 33. So once all of this started to be reframed into a you know, mainstream Christian outlook of the cross, I jumped head first in and decided I had to convert all of my Mormon family and friends and, and uh, became very vocal about, you know, all of that. And <laughs> when all of that started to fall apart, now I'm like, okay, well now what? <laughs> so I'm excited because I don't, I, I don't have a place for what the cross looks like anymore. I, um, and I, it's hard to say, but I'm okay with that. Um, but this is, this is beautiful. To hear different people's perspectives is beautiful. And, and I'm so excited that we're having this conversation. I think you just spoke for a lot of people. I thought it meant this, that has really wore thin for me, but I have a sense that it does mean something. It means something deep. I just don't know exactly how to articulate that yet. So I think that's where a lot of, I think just how many people are talking is really important. Lucas? Um, so I started my deconstruction uh, a few years ago, and, and the cross was one of the first things to go for me. Um, because the idea of salvation never, like Stephen was saying, it just never, it didn't connect with me. I didn't feel that I needed to be saved from anything. I didn't need a man to die so that I could be saved. So I hadn't thought about the cross um, until this morning for years. Um, but I do think that the cross um, is a powerful symbol and liken that to picturing the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was assassinated. And these were two men who, who just lived their fully human, fully true selves and stood up for what they believed for. And when I think about the Lorraine Motel and the cross, that's a signal, a sign for me, saying that there are worse things than death. They, they knew that they were making people unhappy. They knew that their lives were in danger, and they said, you know, there are worse things. And so for me, that's what the cross means. Wow. Lovely.
Monica, who's uh, watching online, she says, the cross, the death of Jesus, means absolute freedom in this life and eternal freedom in the next. That's good, Monica. Tabitha, we got two more. Um, the cross actually means a lot to me. Uh, my favorite uh, hymn is actually the Wondrous Cross. Um, actually makes me cry sometimes um, just because I think about grace and um, see to me I've had a, a, a I see the suffering of Christ I have a lot of identity with that because I've suffered a lot in life too so when I look at the cross I see uh, someone I can be a friend with someone that I understand and who understands the suffering that I've gone through so um, so yeah, I just see so much grace um, inside uh, the cross, and I almost see it as like, um, like in my life, I have an AD moment, like an after death, and so I kind of relate that to all this darkness um, comes to a point, and then there's this cross, and then after that is light and hope, and, and that um, I'm not alone. Um, I wrote a poem, most people probably don't know I'm trans, um, but I wrote a poem in 2005 as I was just struggling with my uh, gender identity, and I was really struggling between putting a bullet in my head or transitioning, uh, which in 2006, I, I obviously did not kill myself, <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah, 2006 um, was the first day I took the pills and never stopped. <laughs> But um, I wrote a poem uh, called My Cross, and at the, in 2005, my cross was my identity. It's, it's a short one. My cross lays broken upon my God, worn and fragile. I'm held up by the passion of love, exhausted by the daily journey, hopeful that I'll find rest. Just as heaven bends to catch my breath, angels faintly hear, footsteps leaving heaven. I bear the cross, God carries the load. Again, I walk, but I'm not alone. Amen. Could we stop right there? We got one more. We do. Sharon was going to talk. You raised your hand a long time ago. Oh, JT's coming. Right on the front. I'm patient. It's okay. <laughs> Hi, my name is um, Sharon. Um, growing up, um, I grew up Baptist, and my mom um, was also grew up Pentecostal. And so um, for me, I struggled a lot um, being in the black community in the church that the cross was partially good and partially bad. And for me, I took a hold of the bad part of the cross because I was, you know, I didn't have anybody to talk to about my sexuality and what I was feeling. And if I did, it was, you're going to go to hell. Basically, you're going to slide down on some coals and be down there for the rest of your life, and that's, that is what it is. Um, but when I was 13 years old, the cross took on a whole new meaning for me, um, being a, a, a child of, of my mother abusing me, and remember sitting under my bed singing, God will take care of me, or the old rugged cross, because I knew then that being as young as I was, that despite of what was going on in my life that Christ dying on the cross for me meant that the situation that I was in, that the pain that I was suffering, the cross was bigger than all of that stuff. That 
at the age of 13 being abused in every possible way you could possibly think to be abused, that that cross is what kept me from 13 until now. The times where I wanted to put a bullet in my brain, the cross was there. That Christ died for me to be able to endure that, to be able to pick up the cross with him and to move forward. And that's what the cross means to me now, that even in you know my older age, um, I thank God for the cross because it's helping me to be a better person and to find that stability with the cross. My, you know, with my little girl, you know, I, I look at her and I thank God for her because even though I suffered the way that I suffered, the cross has helped me to be a better mother to her and to be a better partner to, to my, my wife and things in my life. So whenever I go through something, the cross literally means stability and that if I have to carry that to be able to survive this life and to love and to look at people differently, then that's what I'll do. The cross is my stability. It is my peace. It is my love. It is when I see, you know, being here in this church that I, I, I thank God every single day because I was lost. We were lost. We were looking for, you know, stability and being here and, and actually having this conversation about the cross has, has truly allowed me to see that the cross isn't just about me and what I've struggled through in my life, but it's about everyone and that God loves us all, no matter who we are, what we are, what color, what nationality, does not matter. The cross is that to me. Lovely. So ultimately you hear this issue of solidarity and my response to that is I resonate with that, um, that I don't have a sense now, I'll just leave with this, I don't have a sense now that the incarnation was a fact-finding mission for God. I don't think God was sitting on the other side of the ether looking down saying, I wonder what they're going through. I think that God was very aware of what we were going through. I think the minute that God decided to create other than God's self was a crucifixion. It was a crucifixion of being the only. It was a crucifixion of sharing space. It was a withdrawal of being the, the all in all. And I think God immediately subjected God's self to the suffering of God's children and creation. As soon as we began suffering, God was suffering. The way I play it in my mind, I think that God was very aware that we could not fathom that that God always seemed a million miles away in God's invisibility. And the question has always been, does God care? Does God know? Does God feel? Even Job lifted his voice one day, almost angrily flipping off the heavens, and he screamed, oh, that God were a man, that God would know. And so in Jesus, I don't believe God found out. I believe in Jesus, this was an effort for God to remove any doubt from our mind that God does indeed know. And Jesus said as much when he said, on the, just the day before he was crucified, he said, when you've seen me, you've seen God. If you wonder what the Father, if you wonder what the Creator looks like, look at me, I am a picture of that. And the next day was crucified. Rudolf Moltmann wrote, wrote the quintessential book on this, and it would be a great book for you to pick up and begin reading. It's called The Crucified God. The Crucified God. It's a brilliant book. I believe 
that Jesus was a picture of the Father. Jesus was a picture of God. And the cross was not the first suffering of God. It was a picture of what God had always been doing in relationship to humanity. So when a little girl is being abused, this is a crucifixion of God. When the first child suffers with pangs of hunger, this is the crucifixion of God. And to make a visible statement, God finally, as I say, threw a blanket over the invisible man and we see the contours to the blanket called the incarnation. But this was not the beginning of God's suffering. The beginning of God's suffering was the first suffering that the world ever endured. Jesus was just the effort to remove any doubt from our mind that this was the case. Is that, does that capture it? No. But as someone said, it's just one more angle. And I love the fact that we've just heard lots of different angles today. So next week we'll come back and we'll pick up this idea of substitutionary atonement. I still like the word atonement, not because I believe God's heart has to be satisfied, but we looked and coincidentally the word atonement actually phonetically can be at one meant. And I believe God is truly at one and God is truly in the suffering and in the joy. So let's come back next week and historically look at this and really pick up this idea of substitutionary penal atonement. You want to do what? You want to sing America the Beautiful? I, I, think, I think we should sing America the Beautiful because I personally believe the ultimate patriotism is to stand up for ultimate truths. And I don't believe the ultimate truth that was established here in the United States was a bunch of people wanting to be narrow and, and uh, restrictive. I believe it was people coming here because they wanted to have conversations just like we're having. In the midst of that, there were incredible atrocities. There were atrocities that are beyond the scope of speaking. But what is beautiful about America, and I believe what's beautiful about the church, and I think the progressive church is trying to pick this up, is every person has a voice. That is a beautiful thing. So to that end, I think we can all, on July 3rd, in light of July 4th, stand and sing America the Beautiful. Stand with us. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray, for purple mountains' majesty above the fruited plain. God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Julie Jane, are you here? Julie, come on up, Julie. I want you to close us in prayer as we leave. Julie's one of our prayer members here. She's been on the prayer team for a very long time, and she's going to lead us in a closing prayer. I think it would be beautiful for you to send us out. Please, ma'am. Would you join me? Or 
I'm going to pray. Okay. Until we meet again, and as we go from to the week, by the endurance of love, the persistence of hope, the remembrance of joy, the offering of gratitude, the receiving of grace, and the blessing of peace. Amen. 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 God bless y'all. Have a fabulous week.